you know, we're going to talk about something that gets in between us and just enjoying intimacy and connection with God. And we're going to learn how to budget out of the way and not be controlled by it. And one of the greatest enemies of intimacy, connection with God is this whole thing of shame and what shame uh, does. And in the beginning, there was no shame. It says that Adam and Eve were naked and they knew no shame. And then they disobeyed and shame came in and they hid, they disconnected, they ran away. And God went looking for them and said, where are you? And they'd try to cover over their shame for themselves and God then covered them. And Jesus invites us back to Eden to walk with God yeah. with no Thank shame. That's what the gospel is, to have no shame. And shame is not a place where we can live. If you've seen that TV show, Bear Grylls, The Island, they arrive on the island, 12 ordinary people, and they get dropped off in the mangrove swamp. And they can't live there. You can't make a home in the mangrove swamp. There's no water there. There's no shelter there. There's no sunlight. You can't make a community there. They have to get out of the swamp and they have to go to the beach where they can build a home and build a life. And people say that shame is like living in a swamp. It's, it's a traumatic, awful place to live in. And shame is this lethal, deadly thing. And it's something that will creep in and shape everything. It can creep in and shape all of our relationships it can creep in and shape the way we relate to people, to God, to ourselves. It can shape our dreams. It can shape how we parent, how we lead. It can shape how we plan for the future. It can shape all of our choices. It's a deadly, terrible thing. We can't live in the swampland. And we can say, what is shame then? For every human being and every person here, your most your deepest, most fundamental and foundational need is to know that you can be seen and that you can connect to another person. That's your most deep and fundamental need is that you can connect to another person. And shame is an enemy of connection. Shame leaves you with a sense of I am unworthy to truly be seen and truly connect and truly be known and truly be in relationship. It's interesting that if we want to see outflow to one another, to the community and to the world, we have to know how to handle shame. Because shame is that thing where we don't want to be seen and don't want to be known and it's, it's a disease that comes right into the heart of church where people wear a religious mask. And, and don't honestly talk about their struggles and actually don't talk about their strengths. Shame is a, an emotion that leaves us hiding. It leaves us in that place where Adam and Eve were hiding from God. And we have to understand that guilt is different to shame. That shame and guilt are very, very different things. 
Guilt is, I've done something wrong. Actually, guilt is really easy to tell another person. It's really easy to say, you know what, I feel guilty. I did this, I said this. But shame is a different thing. It attacks our very personhood. It's not just, I did something wrong. Shame leaves us with the feeling, I am wrong. Shame becomes an identity. I am wrong. It's not just, I made some mistakes. I am a mistake. It's not just, I made some poor parenting decisions. I am a bad parent. It leaves people with a sense of undermined identity. So how do we find ourselves with that sense of, I can't really connect, I can't really belong, I can't really be seen? How do we find ourselves living then in the swamp? And sometimes it can just be something happened to us. Something something happened to us, someone did something to us. Sometimes it can be the choices that we made. Um, Sometimes it can be the things we didn't do. Or the things we wish we had done. Sometimes it can be the things that happened. It can be shame can cause a person to feel disconnected and unable to be seen because of something that happened in their childhood. Maybe it was later on, you married and maybe you you had an affair and, and you got divorced and then you feel shame. You feel I'm not worthy to be seen and belong and to connect because I did this. Sometimes it can be that you were divorced and you were rejected and you were the left one. And you can feel, now I'm unworthy to connect, to belong and to be seen. I am bad or I've come to believe for myself as bad. It can be a goal not accomplished. I thought I was going to achieve this and I did not achieve this. Being ordinary today is a source of shame. (laughs) Being ordinary today is a source of shame. The idea that you put something on Instagram and only seven people clicked like it is a form of shame. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I put this picture of my life, my exciting moment, and no one's interested in it. It becomes a shaming moment. I'm ordinary. It can be moments where you, someone spoke some badly delivered words and they become like a judgment or a criticism or like a a curse over you. You Jesus came and took all of our curses. He died in our place to take our curses. But sometimes words that were spoken over us, you won't amount to much. If you do that, it will be a disaster. Words were spoken over to me. You know, you are no good at DIY, so you'll never fit into a man's world. Those words become a curse Mm. and a definer and a dictator of how we relate. And we feel we're going to hide because something was said. And words that you've heard, we can ask now, Jesus, that he took our curses. So if someone said anything over you, we just take authority over that in the name of Jesus. Any words that were critical, judging cursing words we take authority over that and say God even this morning let the reality of how you speak break the power of words sometimes it can just be we marinate in the drip drip tap tap of messages you're not special enough you're not smart enough you're not young enough 
You're not spiritual enough. You're not important enough. You're not successful enough to be loved and accepted by both God and other people. You fail to measure up to some kind of ideal. And so these messages come over us and from our history and from society and from family and words and things that have happened. And we find ourselves to some degree sometimes living in the swampland. Living in the swamp. And we can say, why do we stay in shame then? It's because you and I, what we really need is to connect and to belong. And to truly connect and to belong, you have to be truly seen. But you can't really connect and to belong to anybody if you're performing or acting or trying too hard. You can't connect and to belong if your goal is to keep people at a safe distance. You can't truly get that need of belonging met if your goal is to disconnect. And so we need to be seen. But at the same time, we're absolutely terrified of disconnection. Because we want to really connect and to belong, and that requires that we're seen. But what if I let you see me? What if I let people see me? And what they see causes them to judge or disconnect or be disappointed. And so we settle then for fitting in. What we then do is we say, I want to I be seen and belong. If I'm really seen, I might be rejected. So I'll settle then for just fitting in. And when we hide who we truly are to fit in, we essentially remain hidden. We remain in that moment in the fall where God has to say, where are you? Because we're not showing God anything real. We're not showing anybody else anything real. We're hiding our strengths and we're hiding our struggles because we don't want to be rejected. Or we overcompensate and we perform to impress. See, what shame will do... And that's why it's so destructive for the whole thing of intimacy, relationship and connection to Mm. God and with one another. Shame will say, it is safer for you to remain secretive and hidden than it is to be living authentic and vulnerable and honest. Mm. It It will say it's safer to be silent than run the risk of disappointing and being misunderstood. Yeah. It's like we chameleon our way through the day. You know, the chameleon, it changes its colour to fit whatever environment. Chameleon will become green or red, depends on what's around it. And we find ourselves wanting to so desperately fit, we change our colour to fit whatever place we're in. Shame is that thing that says, if I take a risk here and... And say something about Jesus or offer prayer or offer a prophetic word or offer something. What if they reject me? Shame says, hide your faith. Hide it. Keep it hidden because you may not feel worthy to connect and to belong. Shame is that thing that says, don't offer to pray for the sick because what if they don't get healed? And then you'll feel shame and then you'll have to remain hidden. We can see shame in operation in Galatians 2. It's interesting in Galatians that, that 
Peter, the apostle, is seen, he eats with the men and women who are from a non-Jewish background, the Gentiles. He eats with them, he talks with them, he mixes with them, and he's happy to eat their food and he's happy to be with them. Then some big, big shots come down from Jerusalem, some really big leaders come down, and Peter thinks, you know what, if I'm seen eating with the Gentiles, with the non-Jews, eating what they're eating... I might be judged by the big guys because the big guys don't seem to be doing that. So he disconnects from one group. He chameleons, he changes his colour and says, now I only eat with the big guns. And Paul confronts him and says, you hypocrite, Peter. At one point you're eating with everybody. Now you're saying you only eat with these people. Shame had made him change his tune, cover over, change his colour and disconnect from one group of people and actually undermine the gospel. Peter wasn't secure in his identity. He wanted to impress other people. But then we think, okay, often we find this in our society, we hear, if you achieve X, Y and Z, if you have a certain job or a certain profile or certain income or certain status... If you do that, you'll then be worthy. And it's like we see all around us people trying to create like fig leaves to cover their shame. Mm. But if our worthiness is attached to what we do, whatever that is, you know, whatever you think, if I did this or this happened for me or that happened for me, then I would know I'm worthy. If you do achieve it, you actually achieve that ideal and you're seen, and you think, I'll be then seen, and then I'll be known if I could do X, Y, and Z. Imagine it's like a, hitting a spiritual home run. You think, if I do this, whack, I'll be worthy to connect and to belong. If I achieve this status in my job, if I achieve this, if this happens in my family, if I get married, if this happens, if I got married, then I could feel like I could connect and to belong at the next family meal. I wouldn't feel like I have to hide. Whatever that is, whatever that home run is, or if you're at school, you remember you've got a gold sticker if you did really, really well. Mm-hmm. You know, well done, gold sticker. You know, adults, we're craving gold stickers. <laughs> we think if I do this, if I achieve that, I'll get a gold sticker and then I can be seen and belong. Whatever that is, if you mm-hmm. achieve it, If you achieve some form of success and your worthiness is attached to it, it's not about doing brilliant in your job, it's not about marriage and kids and finances, if any of those things are bad, it's saying if your worthiness is attached to it and you succeed, shame will then say you have handed over your sense of worth to what people think. And then shame will come in and say, I'm now going to hijack you and control you and tell you, you better keep everybody in your life happy. You better not do anything to undermine that gold sticker. You better not do anything to undermine that success. It will make you absolutely terrified of failing. It will say, you better please everybody perform for everybody, perfect for everyone, 
Otherwise, that fig leaf that you've created to cover over your unworthiness will be removed. Then you'll have no protection, no covering, and your specialness will be taken away. That's what shame will do. And then shame, with its best friend perfectionism, will say, perfectionism will say, I can be a shield for you. I can be a 20-ton shield for you. Hide behind me. Do it all, say it all, perform it all absolutely perfectly, then no one will see your unworthiness and no one will see (coughs) your uh, struggles. A little while ago, about a month ago actually, someone, someone said to me, are you Jamie Lee? In a kind of excited voice. <laughs> and I analysed it afterwards, not necessarily during the conversation, but in that moment, something in my subconscious said, you've arrived. <laughs> <laughs> People are hearing about you. You're special. And then this person said, Are you Jamie Lee? Do you mind if I ask you a personal question? Go ahead. You want to know the secret of my success, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) This is all, unfortunately, subconscious at a very deep foundational level. So I said, go, go, yeah, ask me. She said, are you Jamie Lee? Or, like, that's your whole name. Or are you Jamie Lee? (laughs) (laughs) I went from, you can imagine a balloon. Are you Jamie Lee? I'm inflated. Yes. (laughs) My ego's inflated. By the end of it, (laughs) completely deflated. I'm just ordinary. I'm not special. And I I like to say to to God, there was something going... You get to know yourself, don't you? There was something going on there. There was something going on there in that conversation... Where I went from inflated to deflated. Mm. Father, what was going on there? Mm. And he, he, as he does, he's very kind and clear. That's your fig leaf. <laughs> 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 to finish with, how do we walk then out of shame? Mm. How do we not live in shame? And how do we actually engage with the reality that Jesus takes us back to Eden? Because in the beginning there was no shame. In the beginning there was authentic. You could be authentic. You could be vulnerable. There was no covering. And one of the key verses I found on this is 1 Corinthians 15 and chapter 10. And sorry, it's 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, sorry. (coughs) And Paul says, I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So he's basically saying, I'm going to tell you about the worst that I am. He's going to tell you about the worst part of his history, that he murdered 
approved of murdered, imprisoned, and tried to stamp out and kill the work of Jesus. Mm. And then he says, but, the grace, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was not without effect. No, I worked harder than them all. Yes. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Now, now Paul says, in the gospel, and I think we have to, for intimacy and connection, the gospel has to make sense at the most basic everyday level of everything we do. Mm. Who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, his life, his death, his resurrection, what the cross has achieved has to make sense on a Monday morning, mm. on the bus, going to work, where you don't feel that you've been treated very well, maybe you're doing a job you don't want to do, you're overqualified for. It has to impact the way we parent our marriages, absolutely everything. And Paul is saying that grace, this powerful word from God, convinces us that we're loved and completely seen and celebrated and liked. Hallelujah! Someone said, we don't have any skeletons in the closet that God doesn't know about because God lives in the closet. (laughs) He knows us. He likes us. And he he likes the quirky things about us. Yeah, come on. And he loves our limitations. Mm -hmm. And he loves our imperfections. So there's no need for a shield to cover a perfectionistic shield of do it all, say it all, get it all perfectly right. Because God doesn't really care about our imperfections. He can see it all and he doesn't get scared of it. And there's even grace that works in our least lovable parts. And grace says to us, you can say, I am enough. And it's not if, it's not when, it's now. Yes. That's what Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. It's not someday, somewhere, there's a better version of me coming, God. And you'll love the future version because I pray more, <laughs> I read the Bible more. The Mark 2.5 of me is really great at evangelism and really risky and daring and never gets it wrong. You'll love that version. He says, no, you can say, I am what I am by the grace of God. Right now, I am enough, including the reality that I've got so many imperfections and so many areas that need transformation and growth and maturity. It's worthiness now. What the gospel does, the gospel gives you a transformed sense of self. That's what it does. And that's how grace takes us back to Eden, because it transforms the very way that we see ourselves. See, Paul in, in I think in 2 Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul, he, the church has been really, really, really critical of Paul. Really critical of Paul. And they're comparing him to other people. Some people like him. Some people don't like him. Some people think he's a great apostle. Mm-hmm. Some people prefer Apollos and Peter. He's being criticised. And Paul does something amazing out of this sense of transformed self. The transformed self gives us a capacity to deal with criticism. And Paul said this. This is, so, this is the Apostle Paul when someone's criticising him. I care very little if I'm judged by you. 
or any human court. Oh, so Paul, you've got this great self-esteem then. You're just really confident in yourself. I don't care what you think, your judgments or your opinions. And we think, oh, that's what we have to be then. We just have to be, have a great self-esteem. And Paul says, no, it's not just that, about self-esteem. He says, I don't even judge myself. Mm. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. He lives in this place where he doesn't go back into the swampland of shame because he refuses to allow people to judge him back into the swampland and he will not judge himself back into the swampland. He says, the only person whose real opinion of me counts is God. And so people can come to him and say, I've got some feedback for you, I've got some suggestions for you. And he brings it all back to God and says, which part is mine and which part is theirs? Which part do I need to embrace? Where do I need to repent? You lead me, you guide me, you protect me, you keep me on track. He says, I really, really don't care what you think. I don't care what I think. I'm not going to withdraw I'm not going to disappear. I'm not going to make myself small. I'm not going to make myself invisible. I'm not going to lose confidence. I'm not going to people please. And I'm not going to attack back. And I'm not going to allow your opinion to keep me up at night or devastate me. Mm. So this is what the gospel does. It doesn't mean we walk around, I don't need anybody's opinion because it's just me and God. I won't allow any opinion of people to cause me to retreat back into shame. And Paul does something else that's amazing as well. He doesn't attach his accomplishments or his sins to his identity. See, how we tend to work is this. We tend to work that when we're accomplishing really, really well and achieving and successful, we feel worthy. We feel inflated. We feel confident. Mm. And so in those moments, we feel confident to be spiritual, to pray, to tell people about Jesus and do things. But then when we see all kinds of failure and sin and brokenness and immaturity, we become deflated and we lose all confidence. And Paul says, would say, that's because you're judging yourself. The reason why you get inflated by performance and deflated by an awareness of sin is because you are looking for a verdict from your own performance. You're either trying to impress someone else and meet their standards, and when you fail, you feel deflated, or you try and set yourself high standards, and when you fail to keep your own high standards, you then feel deflated. Mm -hmm. Unless you're a person of incredibly low standards. You think, but no one wants to say, I keep all my standards because my standards are so low. Anybody could keep them. That doesn't necessarily make you feel worthy. So so for Paul, he says, you know what? The trial is over. The verdict is in. So we have to make, the the gospel has to mean something. It has to mean something at the very foundation of our identity and our sense of um, value. It has to mean something at the very core of who we are. That the Father's perfect love produces self-acceptance. That leads us to be able to love ourselves. That leads us to be very kind to ourselves. His generosity, his love leads us to be generous and compassionate and warm and understanding and patient with ourselves. The fact that his love keeps no record of wrongs means that we can love ourselves and keep no record of wrong. 
that our worst regrets and our worst failings and our worst days should not be like a, a black cloud all over us causing us to disappear and hide because love keeps no record of wrongs. And so when the gospel starts to do its work deep into the core of who we are, suddenly we can be seen. Yes. Mm. We can be seen by one another. Suddenly the religious mask of, you know, how are you doing? Doing fine, brother. Yes, praise the Lord. Doing well. Doing really well. We can let it slip and say, you know what? I've got a group of people who I can be real and vulnerable with and we need people we trust and build relationships with, people we've got history with, not just vomiting everywhere (laughs) to everybody. That scares people when we do that. But to trusted, deep people, (laughs) we can be vulnerable and we can be seen. This is the thing that shame cannot survive. It cannot survive being spoken. It's like in the movie from 1984, Gremlins. You know, don't feed them after midnight, don't put water on them. <laughs> they could not survive the sunlight. If you open the, if they came out in the day, the gremlins would, would melt into mush on the floor. Shame cannot survive being spoken. Shame cannot survive when we say, you know what, I'm feeling right now unworthy. Shame cannot survive that. You see, Paul could say, I am the worst of sinners. And we think, how can you say that? He could actually say right in the present tense, I know my own thoughts, I know my own motivations better than I know anybody else's. I am the worst, the chief of sinners, he says in 1 Timothy um, 1.16. And at the same time, he could say, I've got a commission, I've got a calling, and I'm going to be bold, brave, and courageous with that thing. Because he's not judging himself. When we're vulnerable and we're seeing and we speak about not feeling enough, not feeling spiritual enough, not feeling mature enough, when we go and get a new job and we think, am I even capable of doing this job? I'm terrified. Am I enough for this? In those moments where we say the wrong thing and it comes out of our mouth and and we feel so much shame and we think, oh, by now I should have control over my mouth. And we feel shame and we want to withdraw and disconnect and hide. We need people where we can come and talk about not feeling enough for that new job. Tell somebody that we said the wrong thing and we feel shame. Tell somebody that we have the right now. That is a shaming experience for me. That the gremlins of shame are whispering, who do you think you are? And shame when it says you better hide and disappear until you've got that over with, as we heard earlier on. But when we speak not feeling enough, shame is broken. It's like empathy. Like if you say to somebody you're really struggling and they say to you, not advice and tell you what to do, but they say the word, you know what, me too. Not necessarily me too about what you're doing, but me too. I struggle. I sometimes feel weak. I sometimes feel overwhelmed. I sometimes feel incapable. It's like in that moment of empathy, it's like healing balm. Mm. Mm. It's like intimacy, connection, honesty, being seen, not having to perform, heals our souls. And that's why the church is such a beautiful place because I don't think there's any place on earth where you have such diversity Mm. and opportunity 
to relate to one another and connect and belong. (coughs) Let's land with this then. Because Jesus is the greatest shame-resilient person who ever lived on the earth. And Jesus goes back to his hometown and people are beginning to hear about him and what he's done in Luke chapter 4, 16. And he's showing everybody who he is. But Jesus is never performing, never perfecting, never appeasing, placating. He just shows everybody who he is. And the people in that town become, I guess, offended at him because they know him and they know his story. So it says in verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. So they're saying, we know your story, we know about your history, we know about Mary, and we know about Joseph, and we know about the hurried and rapid marriage that had to take place, and we know that you're, you're, you're not the father, or you are the father, and something happened. We know about you. They're shaming him and saying, who do you think you are? Hide Jesus, hide Jesus, disappear Jesus. And Jesus stands up and says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. In an environment where they're saying, get small, hide, disappear, become invisible. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? We know your story. Jesus stands up and says, I know who I am. (laughs) I know who I am. I know my identity. Hmm. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Remember, he's, he's announcing he is the Christ here. He is announcing, he's the Messiah, the one you had hoped for for centuries, I am. It's me. And they're saying, who do you think you are? We know who you are. No, you don't really know who I am. (laughs) I'm going to tell you who I am. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were on him. They were fastened on him. And then he said, he began by saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled. And then they say... All who spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? In other words, shame has another message. It says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And they wanted to kill him, drive him out of town and throw him over the cliff. See, shame will whisper that to you and say, I know your history, I know your story, I know your past, I know your failings, I know your limitations, I know your unbelief, I know your weakness, who do you think you are? Shame will come and say, don't show the world your strengths, don't show the world who you are, hide that. But church, we actually have an ethical obligation to be confident in the reality that we are the hope of the world. Seriously, no one else has the message that can deal with guilt, shame and sin. 
No one else has the message that can deal with the whole issue of eternity, intimacy, connection with God. No one else apart from the church has been entrusted with the message of why Jesus came, who Jesus is, what has been achieved on the cross, the reality of the Holy Spirit coming, new heavens, new earth. We have been invited into one of the greatest the greatest story on planet Earth. Mm. He's invited us into his story and the world will say, who do you think you are? We know your story. We know your past. We know what the church has done. We know the vulnerabilities and the weaknesses of the church. Who do you think you are? And we can stand up, maybe not to them in their face, but we can stand up and join and say, do you know what the spirit of the Lord is on us? He's on us. Because he's anointed us, he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He's sent us, he's sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. He's sent you, he's sent me, he's sent us for recovery of sight for the blind. He's sent us to declare freedom for the oppressed. He said to us, announce the year of the Lord's favour. That's who we are. That's who we are. And maybe... Maybe we did something wrong. Maybe something wrong was said to us. Maybe we received judgment and cursing and awful words that crushed us. Maybe we failed to live up to some ideal that we wished we had. But we can say, I will not judge myself. The verdict is in. The courtroom is adjourned. The sentence has been declared. Jesus died in my place for me, as me. I don't ever have to go back in there again. And so the accuser can come and say, I want to prosecute you, and you defend yourself, and you can say, I'm not going to defend myself. Jesus, life, death, and resurrection is my defense. The cross is my defense. The blood is my defense. The reality of his glorification is my defense. I'm never going back in the court again. But what I will be is bold and courageous and confident with my calling in God. And whatever that looks like. Just going to invite us to stand. Because God is calling us to outflow good news. And to outflow good news, we need to have a life with life in it and know how to get more life so we can give it away. And so worthiness, the gift of the gospel, takes us out of hiding. And takes us out of hiding. It gives us the courage to come out of hiding. And God just says to anybody, even if it was a a shaming thing for you to come to Jesus, and you've even known that kind of judgment of your family, and it's almost left you scarred, God just says, come out of any kind of hiding... And be bold and courageous with what you've been given. And God just says, embrace the emotional risk of being an innovator. If you're an innovator, you come up with fresh ideas, but shame is said to you, don't do it, because if it doesn't work, you'll look like a failure. And if you're a failure, you'll be nothing. Be an innovator. Be a creative. New ideas need to be realised. When shame is broken, we can sing that song, write that book, have that, art, that conversation take that risk, make that change, dream that dream, pursue that idea. So God, we just declare right now that it's not something that has to happen right now because it happened 2,000 years ago. God, we recognise the glorious implications of the gospel. And we recognise that everything that Adam and Eve lost for us has been more than restored through Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we choose to relate 
to you on the basis of the finished work. We, we, we declare that that old courtroom is abandoned for us. It's got cobwebs and dust in it. We don't ever have to go in there. There's not even a judge in there. He's already had a judgment. Not guilty, because one who was not guilty was found guilty in our place. And so, God, we just thank you that, Jesus, you are our wonderful defence. You are our wonderful justification. Your opinion is the one that matters more than anything else. And, And, God, we say if we're doing jobs that we feel even shame in, Lift up your head and walk in knowing even that you do things in a temporary moment, you're a prince or a princess, you are royalty. And that you can walk in with that God-given identity. So we ask you for outflow of innovation, creativity, songs, books, conversations. And we just want to lay any mask down that we've been carrying God, where we've been hiding our true self, so that we can be seen both our strengths and our struggles. Amen. 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 Amen.